Hello and welcome to another episode of A Slice of Health, the Candid Health Chat podcast, where we slice away health truth from health fiction. Join me and my friends as we challenge common health myths via chit chat powered by several cups of coffee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and do visit us at a sliceofhealth.club. Let's get to today's episode. Health champions, welcome back to another episode. Today we have Yejide Kilanko with us, and we are going to be talking about childhood mental health. She is a licensed mental health worker who works with children, doing psychotherapy and all other kinds of therapy as well. And also, she is the author of one of my favorite books, which is Daughters Who Walk This Path. And I know that I've been chatting to some of you, you know, in the coming weeks about the fact that I was going to be doing this interview and so many of you were excited because you've listened and you've read her books and, um, and especially daughters. So it'll be really nice to have her on. So thank you so much coming on Yejide. I'm so, so happy to have you on. Thank you so much, Damia. This is so much fun. Thank you. Oh, that's great. So tell us a lot about yourself. Oh, a lot. Okay. So, (laughs) okay. So I was born in Ibada, Nigeria. Uh, so that's in southwestern uh, Nigeria. So I grew up uh, in a home with five kids. I'm the oldest of five. Um, my dad was a university professor uh, in vet medicine. So we grew up in the University of Ibadan. And um, I went to boarding school. I remember when I was 10. <laughs> I went to boarding school when I was 10. Uh, I went to one of the federal schools in Anicha. I remember reading a book. Uh, it was called um, about Miss. Uh, uh, Mr. Baku and his family, they would travel around Nigeria exploring different things. So I, 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 even at that age, I wanted to see things. So I told my dad about the story and then I said, I wanted to go to uh, the federal school in Nunchek because I wanted to see the bridge. I wanted to see the river Niger and I wanted to see the bridge. And honestly, after <laughs> boarding school, the first year was hard. It was very, very hard. I was far away from home. And so, but yeah, but I, I that uh, particular experience kind of shaped me into the woman woman rather I am today I think in terms of uh, independence in terms of learning to take care of myself um, making friends from different tribes being open to different experiences and then so let me see fast forward I went to University of Ibadan and uh, I studied political science Uh, my dream then was to become a lawyer so that was the dream. And uh, in 2000, I moved to Laurel, Maryland in the US because uh, my husband was living there. He came, we came home, we got married and I, I joined him in the States. And we lived there for about four years. I had my first two kids there. And then we moved to Canada and I had my third. So I have three kids. Uh, the oldest is 19, uh, the youngest is 14. And um, along the way, I was like, okay, I was still thinking about law, but I was like, I don't know. So um, because my, so- my second child has special needs, and that was when I got to meet a social worker for the first time. Because living in, in Nigeria, I think the only idea I have a social worker was just of child protection, that they would come into the house and take your children away. And that was all I thought I knew about social work. And then I met this wonderful, wonderful human being who was a hospital social worker and she was a blessing to us. And so that was what led me into social work. And I decided, okay, um, once we settled in Canada, I said, I'm I'm going to go back to school. So I went back to school and got a bachelor's and a master's in social work. And and in 2009, uh, which is actually when I started writing Daughters, 
I started my first job as a child protection worker. So I became that social worker, the ones who come to the house and take the kids. <laughs> and, and then I realized it was way more than that, that it wasn't, it was more about providing um, safety for children, right? Um, and, and supporting families um, because we all have times that we go through really difficult, you know, difficult things and we need extra supports. And so for me, it was more about um, making children were safe, um, you know, supporting families, helping them find their own strengths. It's not about coming in and prescribing, you know, things for them, but helping them, you know, like we all go through difficult times. How can we help? And so that's what led to me uh, writing daughters. Uh, so I started writing poetry when I was about 12, but it was very personal. Like it was very, that was a very, um, you know, what would I say was an angst filled teenage years. Like I, I feel things very deeply. So you can imagine like in Nigeria, there are a lot of things to feel. And, and so I, I, I know I was, I would write poetry. And uh, when I got to University of Ibadan, I would write, um, I joined the press for my department and I joined the press for my hall. So would write, I remember then we had this bulletin board, we write stuff and pin it up and pin it up for the week and people would come and read and stand in front of us and read. So that was my first attempt at you know, writing and publishing. And then, but I never thought I could write a novel. Uh, Cause I'm like, oh my God, like that's a lot of words and a lot of like, it's a lot to do. And um, so in 2009, when I started working as a social worker in child protection, um, I was exposed to, um, you know, cases where there was child sexual abuse and it was hard. It was hard having to do the interviews, the inter you know, um, talking to the children, um, trying to figure out supports, trying to figure out what to do. And it was a lot for me and I carried it home. And so that led to me writing a poem. So the poem was titled Silence Speaks. And it was about, um, in fact, the, the, that poem became a scene in the book. It became a crucial scene in the book. And when I wrote the poem, I shared it on Facebook. And it, the feedback, I got some private messages about people actually making disclosures about being sexually abused. And these were people I grew up with, people I knew. And I was like, you were? Like, you know, like I had no idea. And so when that happened, I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe I could turn this into a story. And so from that poem, I started writing and writing and writing. And by December, 2009, I had about 40,000 words. And then I'm like, okay, what am I gonna do with this? Um, cause it was a mess. I would say, cause I've never, even until now, I still haven't taken a writing course. Um, that was my first, like, I didn't know what, exactly what I was doing, but I knew that I, I had to write this story. And so I gave it a couple of books to read for me and they read and I'm like, oh, you know, I think you have something here. And then I, um, I said, okay, you know what, go do something more with it. So I went back. Uh, so a year later, so Ju uh, June 2010, I had a manuscript of uh, about 60,000 words. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with this book now? Um, so I went to Nigeria, I think July 2010. And 10 to visit. And while I was there, I was talking to a friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine, um, who went to University of Baton together. And she told me about another, um, a, another lady who went to school with. I'm sure you might probably know her name is Adobe Mwabani. 
she wrote, I did not come to you by chance. So, um, so my friends, if I said, oh, do you know Adobe wrote a book? I'm like, she did? She's like, yes. When you get back, go find the book. I was like, oh, wow. So, because um, Adobe and I were in the same set, uh, same faculty. She did uh, psychology and I did political science. And uh, so I, when I came back to, to Canada, I found her book. And then I found an interview uh, that she did about how she got an agent uh, from Nigeria and now she was able to publish I'm like well if Adobe could do it then I, I I can try and so that was what led to me actually so I said okay I'm going to figure out how to write a query letter I'm going to make a list of literary agents and I'm going to send them like a query and and that was what led to me getting an agent so uh, and then my agent fantastic fantastic worked with me uh, we polished up the book and submitted it, and then it got published. So that was how everything began. Um, yeah, so I think it, it, it began with, I, I would say, taking a leap of faith. Um, like, because like you, you put yourself out there, you do the work, and then you see what comes back. But, and so, yeah, so I'm, everything just... It was really like a like a, a a miracle story that you know I was able to get an agent within a week. I got a publishing deal within a week. Uh, my journey has definitely not been the same <laughs> since then. There've been lots and lots of um, no's, lots and lots of rejections. Uh, but I think I've found this is my thing. Writing is my thing. That's my gift. Um, it adds purpose to my life. Um, so no matter what I get, the no's, the yeses, the maybes, the hard times, I know it's something I'll always do. So I don't know what else I'm so tell me all about. Well, that's, I, th I don't know what else to add to that, but, um, yeah, so that's pretty much me. But I, I love that, you know, and, you know, I do not come to you by chance. It, it's another one of the books in my library. And I love how you talked about, you know, someone saying, oh, you know, there's someone that we know that we've gone to school with. And I think the thing about representation and just being able to see someone that looks like you or someone that you can identify with in a position that you want to occupy is also so important to encouraging us to pursue our dreams. Um, yeah. And you know what you said about sharing what you'd written on Facebook and how people resonated with that is so, is so true. And it's so true for the book because reading it, I personally felt, yeah, I get this. Like, you know, th their journeys, I, I, I get this. And even in my friendship group as well, you know, people that I didn't think got it would be like, oh yeah, it, it doesn't, it does, it's not far-fetched. Like, they've gone through it as well, or their cousin had gone through it as well. And um, it, it, it opened up an opportunity for us to discuss things that had happened. Um, things that some people have not been able to tell their mothers because they did not believe that mom was going to believe them. Um, because it, it, was, it was being done by somebody in a position of authority or somebody that was well respected within the family. Um, you know, or, you know, things that are still affecting them, even in their intimate relationships with their current partners that happened, you know, 10, 20 years ago when they were much younger. So thank you so much for, for, you know, do it, for doing that work. This is, this is my copy right here. And 
yeah, I, I, I really do love this book. And uh, listeners, stay tuned till the end because I'm going to do a giveaway um, of some brand new copies of Daughters because I think, I think every woman should, should actually read this. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeti, thank you for, for reading. Actually, thank you for I, reading. I'm, I mean, I'm always honored when I meet someone and say, oh, I've read your book because the way I look at it is one, you gave your time and you gave your money. So you're giving your resources to me. So to me, that's a blessing. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing the work of writing it. Um, so I want to now jump into talking about the, the main subject of today, which is mental health in children. Um, and it's something that I think we've started talking a bit more about now, yes. but we don't talk about, we still don't talk about it as much. Um, and I think there's still quite a bit of stigma surrounding the subject as well. Um, so if we go into sort of potentially, perhaps maybe nonverbal cues yeah. that children might be struggling with their mental health, um, and then perhaps then going into ways of seeking out support or also ways of being supportive when, when we then know and we identify that something is going on. Okay. So in terms of non-verbal cues, I always look at functioning, mm -hmm. like how a child functions. So we all have a normal, like, you know, you know, uh, what your mood, like uh, some, some people are born happy. They're always happy all the time. Some people are more melancholic. It doesn't mean they're sad. It just, that's just how they are. And, and so if you see a child, okay, so a child who's always happy all the time, is suddenly sad. Right, you're seeing more, you know, sadness. A child who's quite open, you know, um, they leave their bedroom doors open, they talk, and all of a sudden they're kind of withdrawn. They're closing their doors. It could be the ages and stages too. So maybe they're becoming teens now and more aware of themselves. But it's noticing things like that, right? Uh, they're suddenly very guarded around a particular person. Um, they don't want to go to a particular place. Um, maybe they're sleeping too much, right? Kids, you know, every day, yes, some kids love to sleep, but okay, now this child is sleeping like almost the whole day, or this child is eating a lot, or this child is not eating at, at all, right? So, so it's paying attention to, okay, there's something off. So it's, you know, like, okay, I know, I've noticed this, what's going on? And sometimes it could just be they're going through hormonal changes. It could be something else. That has, but it's important to pay attention to, oh, this child is suddenly acting a particular way that is not the norm for them. So it's exploring with them what exactly is going on with you. And sometimes is okay, so they're very social. Normally their friends will come to the house. All of a sudden, nobody's coming. They're not hanging out with their friends. They're not, you know, and, or they're suddenly being very secretive about everything. You know, so it, it's good to have those conversations, no matter what the age of the child is. It's like, okay, you know, like, and understanding, okay, as they're getting older, like I have a 19 year old, so how I would, um, now that she's in university, of course, I, there's some things that, you know, she wouldn't tell me <laughs> because that's just the normal, <laughs> the normal stages, right? So it's understanding, okay, but I think the earlier you, you, you pay attention to your child, if you're involved in your child's life, not you would notice things not like you guys are just living in the house you're not roommates you have a relationship you're spending time with them you're sitting on the couch and you're calling up and watching movies you've been doing that since they were little so yeah so ever since you were little you know your child you've been growing with them right so then you, you it's easier for you at that point 
to notice things. But if you don't spend time with a child, you're not going to notice the nonverbal cues because you don't know this child. So I think that's really important that you get, you have to know your children. You have to spend time with them. You have to spend time studying them. You have to know what they like and what they don't like. And so that when they're telling you things, um, when they're, they're crying for help and the, 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 the cry for help is not, it's not a verbal like, oh, mom, I need help or dad, I need help. You can hear it, right? So I, so I, I think with anything in life is building relationships because that's what's going to build trust, right? So if they have, feel that they have a relationship with you, then they can come and tell you things. And they know you're not going to like scream and like, you know, like they know, but if you don't have that relationship with them and then it's, so it's very hard for them to trust you or to feel that you can help them. So I, I think that's, so paying attention, you have to pay attention to what's going on around and, you know, and then make sure you spend time with them. So you can send, you can, you can see when things are not going well. Yeah. And I think you, you literally just, open sort of a time bomb in terms of spending time and the quality of the time as well spent with, with, with children. Because I, well, I suppose now in the midst of coronavirus, we've all had to slow down a little bit more. Yes. Um, but previously, because everyone was always sort of in the rat race and you know, you go to work and the time that you probably have with the children is maybe perhaps dinner time and they've already done their homework and then they go to bed or sit on their devices in their bedroom. Um, and then you see them again on your way out, you, a lot of people don't have as much sort of intense quality time to actually know the character of their children and notice little inflections in their voice or notice when they're not eating a certain thing anymore or not willing to go to so-and-so's house anymore. Um, and and th those things are, are really important, as you said. And what about articulation of, of issues? So um, even as adults, we have difficulty putting words to our emotions and putting yeah. words to the difficulties that we're having. How about children and how, what does that look like in children in terms of them articulating what, what is going on? Yeah. So it, it's also talking about emotions from when they were little to, right? So you have all those basic emotions. I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm glad. I'm happy. You know, like, so helping them. Okay. What's going on? Like expanding their, 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 their literacy around it. Like, okay. What is excited? What is frustrated? Like, you know, cause they are, those are other, it has different connotations to them, right? So it's helping them like, okay. And, and, and especially uh, for me, um, my second child has special needs. And so it's been a different and, and communication is part of his challenges, right? So I've had to find different ways and he was nonverbal for a while. So he couldn't even speak <laughs> to me. So we had to do pictures, um, doing little things to be able to, okay, tell me what's going on. And so it's, it's helping them. Um, and kids learn honestly more by watching you. So you have to express how you're feeling. Like, because all the, uh, okay, mommy is feeling this way because I'm angry because I'm sad because I'm happy because I'm excited because so that they can see when you give, give them the language, you give them the words, then they have it. Right. And so it's, you know, and, and for me, I also do a lot of books. We, you know, like they're different books and even books on emotions, the movies, like, so we can, it's having that conversation. I remember, um, and, and so I sit and I talk to them and we read books together. We watch movies together um, and, and it's explaining things. I remember my, my youngest when he was four and um, I think he was, he was, he was a runner. He was one of those kids that just like to take off. And so we had to put, 
like um i think like what's like a chain on the door because if he yeah he can open the door and just take so i said you so, so i'll say okay uh, so i told him i said you can leave the house because and i said and he said uh why and i said because i said so and he's like but why did you say so <laughs> so i'm like okay so so i had to explain okay wow i said so because one if you open the door and you run outside, a car can be coming down the road and the, car, the driver would not see you and they're going to hit you. And then you have to go to the hospital. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So it's giving them like, okay, explaining things properly. Um, when it comes to, in terms of even, we're talking about going back to daughters talking about sexual abuse, you have to name body parts properly. This is what it is. Yeah. There's nothing shameful about this the name for a body part that is your body you have it that's you know and this is what it does right so and and so i say having conversations early with them about you know good touch bad touch um who you know your private areas you know areas you can show other people um i remember i got a book from the library talked about drugs and this is the different names of drugs this is what would happen to you if you take drugs these are the side effects. Like I'm, I'm very honest and open. We have like open conversations. And I remember my daughter's like, you don't ask like a Nigerian mother. <laughs> like, you know, but for me, I'm like, it's, but I'm, I'm, the way I look at it, I'm raising children. I'm not raising my children in Nigeria. I'm raising them in Canada. So this is their world. They need the language to function in their world. And it is my job as their parent to prepare them for that world as much as within my own, you know, and, and when I'm not able to, to find people who can provide them with that support. So, so it, it's, it's how you started and it's not, it's not, and even if your, your, your children are older um, and you didn't start it, you know, when they were younger, it's never too late. It's never too late to have a conversation, sit down and say, you know what, hey, you know what, I know I should have done this prior, I didn't. We mess up. And, and, and when I mess up, I admit. And I say, hey, I messed up. I'm sorry. That's it. You know, so I, I say sorry to my children. I said, I'm sorry. I messed up. I, you know, I overreacted, which I tend to do because I'm a paranoid <laughs> Nigerian mother. <laughs> and, and, and I think because of what I do, I know the dangers out there. And so that makes me even more like I know when they were younger, uh, they were like, oh, want to go for a sleepover. I'm like, nope. No sleepovers. You can stay at their house till midnight, but I'm bringing you back home. <laughs> like, so they're never gonna sleep over because I'm, I'm just, yeah, because I'm like, nope, unless it's family. Yeah, but I'm just, yeah. So there's some things, but I had to sit and explain to them. Like, I know I'm cramping your style. I know like the other kids are laughing or whatever, but I said, this is why. So I think children do better when they know why why you're making a decision that is not just because you're evil and you know you you were born to make their lives miserable it's because yes okay i might be a bit overprotective but so well let's have a conversation about it right so i so i think it's creating that space mm. conversations like okay like let's have a conversation about it and there might sometimes that you'd be like okay i've heard your side i understand but I still have to make decisions. So this is going to be my, my, you know, and they're not going to be happy with you, but I'm like, well, you know what? You get over it. <laughs> so. I love that. And I really love what you said about giving them the language 
because when you give them the language, they will have it. And I think that is so important because, you know, a lot of people growing up, they, perhaps their parents don't sit down with them to explain things the way that you've described, um, ex explain their, the fears that the parent has about a certain situation. And that also doesn't give the children the opportunity to explain the fears that they have as a child about a certain situation. And so that lack of communication then perpetuates itself and turns into sometimes an, ad an adult, a young adult or a mature adult who still cannot articulate how they're feeling because they've never been given that opportunity and that safe space to do so and that comes with education and it comes with awareness and i think the more we talk about these things the more we then start to learn that we need to create these spaces but going back into talking about young children and um you know how their mental health journeys you know the journeys that their mental health can take let's say we then had a parent who has noticed these things so you know has noticed these um, non-verbal cues that the child has given or just knows that there's something wrong and perhaps the child is not being able to articulate it or the parent is not able to withdraw the information but they're afraid um afraid one of like you said social workers taking the child away maybe feeling that they're they're being bad parents that why would my child have anxiety why would my child have depression why would my child have been abused what would you say to that parent in terms of demystifying the stigma and encouraging them to actually seek out help the, the way I, I look at it is that um, we're all wired different. Our brains are wired different. And so we all, that the things that uh, people are, are people are, some people can handle um, things. Um, so, so something happens. So a major event happens. If you have 10 people, they're going to react it in 10, probably 10 different ways, right? And so some people are prone. I personally have anxiety. Um, so I, you know, so I get really, and it's more generalized. So I'm, I'm the kind of person like, uh, oh, the sky is going to fall. And, you know, like, I'm always like, oh, something's going to happen. So I, I get it. So it's easy for me to, to talk to a child and say, okay, there's something, what's going on? So I, I think I, one, one thing I want to tell parents is early intervention is really important. So the earlier you're able to get help for your child, the better the outcome. Right. So if you, you know, okay, you don't have most, um, I can only speak for, you know, where I live in terms of, of Ontario, uh, most communities have uh, children's mental health agencies. So you can call and say, okay, I would like to do an intake. And then they can talk to you and say, what's going on? Right. So it's, I, I don't want to, there's no um, shame in, in getting help. There shouldn't be any blame. Uh, if you look at it, like as long as you come with, the main goal is your child and your child's well-being. Um, I would like to think that, um, you know, most social workers are not judgmental in terms of, oh, we're trying to find a way to blame you for the situation. No, the focus is getting, making sure that your, your child is functioning properly and getting the help that they need. And, you know, so, um, yeah, so I, I, so please, uh, people, and, and, and there's some, there's some, uh, conditions that if you if you if it's genetic condition, that's how the child was born, so they can help that, right? So they can help you know their situation. So um, and and most of the things run in families. Anxiety runs in family. Depressions run in family, right? And so maybe yes, I know for some parents, especially if they're from um, you know like. Know, like maybe Africa or like different, uh, uh, what's the word I'll use now? 
um, communities where um, mental health has carries a lot of stigma, they may not, you know, they may not have those, you know, those words themselves. And if they're dealing with it and they haven't addressed their own issues, then they can't help their child, right? But it's really important that you seek help as early as you can, right? And, and just going with an open mind and with the goal that the main thing you need is help for your child, right? So that is no blame. There's no blaming and shaming doesn't do anything. It just makes the matter worse. Yeah, that is so important. And going through that and sort of talking about, you know, children who are then struggling with potentially things like self-harm and self-harming, self-harming behaviors, how, what kind of advice would you give to even parents as well to, to manage that? Because that can be quite stressful and strenuous yeah. on, on the child going through that but then also on the family and also perhaps other children in, in that environment. What, what kind of advice would you give to, to parents dealing with that kind of situation? So I always say that, you know, um, children live in families, whether, you know, it's, you know, their direct parents, whether caregivers, whether grandparents. So if they look at it, like everybody needs, so they're going to look at it as a, a support for everybody. Right. So as I would tell the parents, as you're getting mental health support for your child, get support for yourself because you're going to need someone to process that with. Um, yeah. So, so, and, and, you know, and if you're not able to um, get, you know, like mental health support, if, because I know sometimes accident free services can be challenging. It could be somebody you trust, you know, if you're a church person or a person of faith, whatever your faith, um, you know, background is, uh, whether it could be a, a you know, a, a good friend who is able to be objective <laughs> and listen without judgment. And yeah, it's because sometimes you don't want someone to solve your problem. You just want them to listen, right? Uh, so, so it's important that they see, and, and I say when your child also sees that you're taking care of yourself, then they're more open to accepting help. So when they know that, okay, you know what, well, when you make going for counseling, you normalize it. It's normal to go for counseling. It's normal, you know, to do this, you know, for self-care. It's normal for us to take walks. It's normal for us to do things, you know, let's bake together. And it doesn't have to be anything complicated. Let's bake together. Let's go for a walk together. Let's, you know, let's even dance together. Let's put on some music and dance, right? So it's, you know, like, um, so it's, it's figuring out what works for our family unit. Like, so we're all, we all need to be strong together. So what is going to feed us? So if we're looking at, so it's not about, oh, we have this child with mental health issues and therefore it's the child's problem. No, it's more like every part of the family. So we're all a team and all of us have things that we need to grow. So this is you. This is what you need to grow. This is what I need to grow. So how can we all strengthen each other? So if you, if you help them look at it that way, so it's not about stigmatizing whoever has the mental health challenge, but looking at it, this is our family issue. And how can we support each other through it? And it's really important. Parenting is hard. It is very, <laughs> very hard. And so, um, yeah, so I salute anyone who gets up in the morning. You're like, okay. So, and, and realizing that, okay, so yesterday you messed up. Good. Today it's a new day. Let's, you know, let, and, and, it, and it's hard. Um, if you have a child who's dealing with, you know, suicide ideation, who's having self-harm, because then you have to do the safety part. 
you have to make sure you know like depending on what the what the um they're using you know yeah with, with, with shops in the house if you have a gun whatever you have to really if it's medication you have to do that safety planning and it's exhausting and it's exhausting and so that's why it's important you have to be kind to yourself yeah kindness self-kindness is really important you are doing the best you can within your you know that what it what, what's going on so you have to be kind to yourself because it will drain you i would i i would not you know like a lot of parents because it's like you are and you're constantly worrying constantly like okay i can't what's going on what's this child doing you know what's happening next and if they have serious mental illness uh, oh you know it's 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 a lifelong thing so it's not like oh they're going to grow out of it right they're not so you're going to have to keep and and your involvement would uh, you know depend on on the child's functioning for some as they you know get into adulthood then you don't have to be around like being that 24/7 person for some people they may not be able to leave the house all right so it's, it's your support system you need a support system you need people who can you know sometimes maybe they bring you a meal because you have so you don't have any energy to cook right? It's somebody helping, you know, your friend going for a walk with you. or So you need to have a support system. And, and, and I think once you realize that you're able to first do the, there's a grief that comes with it, right? When you have a child, you know, it's really, you know, whatever it is that you, you, you have a picture in your head when you're pregnant, my child is going to be this way when yeah. you're born. And then it doesn't turn out to be that way. So first you have to grieve it grieve what your expectations are so once you grieve that like okay but this is what i am right now this is where i am right now so what do i need look around what is it that you need so you first have to know what you need because you cannot take care of a child if you're not okay so you have to be okay first to be able to take care of that child and so i was up around said oh well but oh but say yes that is an act of love your self-care is an act of love for your family because if you're not well, you cannot do anything well, right? So you have to think of like, okay, if I'm taking care of myself, I'm, you know, going for a walk with my friends, I'm going for a movie night, I'm doing yoga, whatever it is, whatever fills you up, it's an act of love, love for yourself and love for your family. So, and I think that's one, so one of the things that is important. I would speak for um, the women I grew up with, that you always have to be strong all the time. You have to carry the world on your shoulders. You know, we're not teaching. There's nothing wrong with being vulnerable and showing it, right? There's nothing wrong with being like, you know what? I'm tired. I need a break, right? And, and I can't do this. Those are not, there's nothing wrong with those words. I need help, right? I just want to go sleep. Like, I just need to just call up under my, I just sleep because that's what I need right now. Uh, because you're going to need to fall yourself to, so, you, so you can parent well, so you can see those nonverbal cues, because if you're tired, you can't see it. If your lens is already, you know, distorted by your own issues, you can't help your child. So, so the first you do your own work, then you are able to help your child. Then you are able to do the long-term work of, you know, working with the child who's dealing with serious mental illness or working because it's, it's, it's draining. It truly is. There are no other words to, to describe it. But at the bottom of it is, is love, right? You love that child and you want to give them the best. So 
So seek support and seek help when you need it. I really love what you said. And you know, you're talking about um, if you're not well, then you can't, you can't really parent well. And you know, the whole thing about, you know, talking about sort of the women that you grew up with, and that's definitely, you know, my case as well, in terms of a lot of people feeling that, you know, I have to be the person that is in charge all the time. And I, I often say to people that children can pick up on your energy and the, the inflections in you and children know that you're anxious and that you're parenting from a place of anxiety. And, um, you know, it, it's something that I often talk about even, you know, with Nigerian parenting that a lot of times, you know, it's sort of like there's a, there's a saying, I am Ija, and it's that kind of thing where my heart has jumped out of my chest and yeah. this is how I'm parenting. And I'm, you're parenting from a place of being very fluttered and, the children pick up on those anxieties and internalize that as well and then manifest their own anxieties in in different ways because first you've not addressed your own underlying anxiety and you've not given the anxiety a voice you've not articulated what exactly is going on that's causing those behavioral patterns and so children can often then follow that kind of pattern because they do often as they see as opposed to as as you say um and going into talking about, you said that we should normalize saying you're going to counseling in the home. And people often feel that, oh, if, if um, you know, mom says that she's going to counseling or dad or, or whoever is the sort of um, authority figure in the home, that perhaps children might worry, become anxious a bit more, that the parent is, is unwell or, or is seeking help. What would you say to that in terms of, of managing that kind of situation? Well, I, well, I, I think that the kids are living in the house with you. They already know there's something going on with you. <laughs> like if they see mom crying all the time or, you know, her mom who's not able to get out of bed or her dad's not. So they know. They know that you're not functioning well. So if you're coming and say, you know what, I know, I, you know I've, been, I've been sad you know, a lot lately, or I've not been doing things with, it's, you know, I just, I need help. And that's why I'm seeking help right so it's fr- it's how you frame things right it's so uh, now you know i haven't been doing this but i want to be able to do it and that's part of why i'm seeing a counselor because they're going to help me figure things out or this is why you know i'm going to see a doctor this is why i'm taking my medication right so this is why i'm taking this medication because i want to be able to you know to to do things better to do things with you Right. So I'm not saying uh, go into details. Right. Uh, in terms of, you know, so there's still adult information that needs to be kept to adults. You know, your child is not your therapist. Your yeah. child is not your friend in terms of, oh, let me onboard in all my soul to you. You, you need to pr- you know, preserve their innocence as much as possible. Right. So it's uh, it's so it's more like they're very they watch, especially children who grew up in a home where there's a lot of anxiety they are very hyper vigilant they pay attention to everything they're good eavesdroppers they're like "Mm -hmm, what are they saying what's going on who's doing what because they know because for them it's 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 protection that the more information i have then i know how to react how to protect myself so i need to know what dad and mom are talking about i need to know who's doing what where they're going because it gives my world a sense of safety so they already know there's something off anyway. So in terms of like, you know what, I haven't been myself, but I'm getting help. So not framing it as something like it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the normalization. Like I'm getting help. 
And the goal of getting the help is so I can get better. Right? So they're like, okay, mom's trying to get better. That's a good thing. Right? So yeah, so it's, so for, for them, it wouldn't be, you know, if, if somebody like they go to school and they hear somebody's doing counseling, they're going to think, oh, oh, this person is crazy. That's not going to be their first thought. Oh, okay. This person's getting help. Right. And so they're telling their friends, oh, the person's getting help. Not like, oh, the person is not well. And, and so it's, it's how you frame things for children. And so once you, you know, you help them frame it in a proper way, then they're like, okay. So then that shapes how they, you know, they, they interact with things like that in the future, in the, you know, when it comes to their friends or any in the future, even for themselves, when they have to seek help, then it's not something that you should, they should be ashamed of. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And I really love what you said about your child is not your therapist. Um, because I think uh, in a lot of settings as well, when parents don't have their own safe outlets outside of the home, the child then becomes the receptacle of the issues that mom and dad or mom and mom, whoever is experiencing. And so the parents are having conflict within their, their own relationship, but then the child then becomes the one that receives the, or your dad did this or your mom did this or, you know, and obviously children don't know how to process that. And, you know, I was having a conversation yesterday and we were talking about how some children then have their relationships with their parents affected because they're looking at the parent and seeing you as mom or dad, but then also then seeing you through the eyes of, oh, but mom said that you did this and mom yeah. said that you did this. And so the child's view of their parents is altered, not by anything the parent has done in their parenting, but what the other parent has said, yeah. has said to them. And that also causes, I think, some internal conflict um, for children, yeah. for children as well. And then going forward in terms of therapy, because therapy has evolved over, over time. And especially with children, I think there's so much available in terms of the kinds of therapy that is offered to help children express themselves and to explore um, what they're going through. What can you tell us about sort of the wide scope of what therapy okay, is? So, so some of the modalities, like in terms of treatment modalities, so um, we can have play therapy, um, you can have, so talk therapy, which is sometimes like the, the more focused on talking. Uh, so maybe CBT, which is more focused. Uh, so that's uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. So basically the, the way uh, I break it down for children is um, that your, um, that how you feel affects how you think and how you think affects how you behave. Right. So, so if I'm, you know, if I'm feeling sad about something it's going to affect my thoughts and then those thoughts are going to drive my behavior. So if I'm able to, uh, or I think, or maybe I think I said it the wrong way, how you think rather, you know, how you feel first, how you think affects your emotions, then how your emotions affect your behaviors. Right. So I always tell them this, um, say, I said, okay, if I'm, you know, I'm walking on the road and um, there's, a, there's a broken sidewalk and I fall down and I, in my head, I'm like, uh oh, the city was out to get me. They broke that sidewalk deliberately. They knew I was going to go for a walk that day and they broke the sidewalk and made me fall down. Then I'm going to get angry at the city. I'm like, mm -hmm, this is a conspiracy against me. And then I'm going to start a, a long letter to the mayor about how they broke the sidewalk and it was their fault for me falling down. Right. So, but, so, but that if you're able to look at, and so that distorts your thinking, 
so and then you are not making the rational behavior like you no know, rational decisions and so so that's so cbt is one of the most uh, i would say very popular treatment modality because it's it's trying to so you are the one doing the work it's a lot of work you have to do the work yourself because your counselor cannot do that work for you right yeah so you have to do the work and um right now we're also doing a lot of i like solution focused which is focused on so it's instead of being focused on the on the problem it's focused on the solution like okay so you have this problem so how do we how do we deal with it right so it's a short term it's a more like a short term um kind of counseling and um i also like dbt which is dialectic dialectical behavioral therapy which is that um so it talks there's a lot of um one of the things that i like we talk about radical acceptance uh where there are things that you cannot change so you have to accept it right so and then once you know that you have to accept it so it's like if you're born with a, a particular condition that's how you're born you can't change it so but how do you cope with it right so now you're looking at how do i cope with it uh we talk uh, another one would be mindfulness so mindfulness is focusing on the moment you know trying to uh one of the favorite things i teach kids uh so it's called the five four three two one so so in that way like oh what are the five things you see five things you can for you know four things you can touch three things you can hear you know because so what is doing is grounding you right in that moment especially if you're you're prone to anxiety attacks and you know, like you're spinning right so it's what is doing is grounding you um so that's one of the, I, I love mindfulness um you know even in terms of like keeping the other thing we, we know narrative therapy in terms of talking in terms of keeping journals right writing things out for some people they find it really helpful uh to keep a journal so i like gratitude journals i'm, I'm like okay every day i want you to write something you're grateful for something you know, it doesn't have to be a big deal. It's like, oh, I'm going to Disney World. Oh, you know, like I'm going, like, it's going to be like today I had the, mm, it could be uh, a donut. It was the yummiest, loveliest donut. I woke up in the morning, there was hot water. Like, that's a big deal even the winter. So your siblings haven't used all the water. Like, you got hot water too. Like, it could, so finding something to be grateful for every day, it really does work. Because what it does is that it shifts your mind, you know, to, so you're not focused on the negative, it's shifting to look at the positive, right? So, um, and, and then uh, like even with some kids who have some sensory issues, I love uh, coming up with like uh, calm down kits. So the little bags where you can put things in there for them to play with. It could be a fidget toy, a stress ball, it could be uh, silly strings, it could be different things, right? So I, I, the one thing I love about kids is that they will tell you something is not working. They're pretty honest. How about, you know, about things I'm like, oh no, this isn't working. <laughs> like, you know, and then, okay, we'll try something else. Right. So, so I always say it's not about your agenda as a therapist is about what meeting your clients where they are. What do they need? It's not about you come like, okay, this is, I got this file. This is what I think. And this is my prescription. No, it's about listening to that client and saying, okay, what do you need? right? If, if it's meditation, I love guided imagery personally, because it allows me, I'm, I'm a very visual person. 
and that helps my writing because I see things. I see the scenes before I write them. Um, so I love guided imagery. And, and so that's another thing that I, I, I do with kids. We do guided imagery. Um, we do, I, I love doing meditation, uh, little clips uh, on YouTube. We go and watch Headspace is one of my favorite, um, um, like we like call it now programs or, or uh, you know, we, so we do a lot of mental health apps. So we encourage the use of mental apps, especially for the teens. They can do that on their own. Um, yeah, and so there's so much, right? There's so much. It's understanding, and and I always say uh, the way I look at it when I talk to some of the younger ones is I always say having an imaginary toolbox in your head. So you have this imaginary toolbox. I always say mine is purple. It has polka dots and it has glitter all over it and shiny and imaginary toolbox in my head. That's where I keep all my coping strategies. Mm. And sometimes you have to try some days you try one coping strategy. I'm taking deep breaths. It's not working. I'm counting one to 10. It's not working. Maybe I, you know, I try to, you know, listen to music and dance. It's not working. Maybe I need to go for a work. Maybe I, so it's, it's, giving yourself getting to understand yourself and understanding what calms you right one of the other things we talk about is calming to your five senses i like that too um so i would say your senses are the way the way you take in information around you right so I'm like, okay so how would you come to your five senses so if you're coming to the sense of sight you're like what do you watch that would be, you know, that would be, so I like watching funny videos on YouTube. I like, I you know, like you watch, you know, like you watch that or what would be, uh, so if you're coming to your sense of, of smell, uh, for some kids, I, you know, like, like some people do candles. I always, I'm very careful about that with kids on fire. So of course, if their parents are watching that, right. Um, or we do essential oils. Or if you have a particular um, sense that you love for your, so you can get like a, a shower gel, that, so lavender, oh, I love lavender. Uh, so you, if you're doing lavender, you do coconut, like even in terms of kids who struggle with sleeping, uh, so if you do lavender pillows, um, like the pillow spray, yeah, it's been helpful. Um, so in terms of, so how those, what sense, because it evokes just that sense of calmness. If it's this, um, the sense of hearing, what are you listening to? Um, some people like at night, they can, can say, okay, you know, the meditation tapes or even listen to um, like, you know, waves crashing. Uh, I love the sound of rain on like uh, a tin roof uh, because it reminds me of Nigeria. Uh, Cause yeah, so just that sound of the you know, little, just the sound of the rain or raindrops on the tin roof or um, so it's where you, you know, listen to different things that, so things that just calm you, uh, sense of touch. Some people have like, you know, you have, you have a stress ball, you have a favorite blankie or a favorite teddy. So something you can touch. I have a fuzzy blanket I like. So yeah, so it, it, and so it's also normalizing for children that even adults can do this. There's nothing wrong with an adult having a stress ball. Mm. Nothing wrong with an adult having things that they like to smell. There's nothing wrong, you know, like, so it's, uh, what would be the, the, the last one is a sense of taste. Uh, hot chocolate in the winter months, hot chocolate is yummy, right? Uh, I like tea. So, so, and, and so, I, so I tell the kids, I say, hey, I drink tea and it calms me. And so what do you like? Some kids like mint. So it's free. And so even some kids who have ADHD, when they chew gum, they can focus better. Right? So, so it, 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 it's, 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 yes, you can't have all these modalities, but then you have to figure out what works for that particular child. 
and helping them understand that what works today may not work tomorrow. And that's fine because as you're growing, your needs are also changing. Right. So it's, it's on the, so for, for it's, it's, I think looking at it, mental health is like your physical health that you don't only pay attention to it when you're not feeling well. So it's thinking of yourself as something that is growing. So as you water a plant, you give it food. So just like you, so to keep your physical health, you're meant to eat right. You're meant to exercise. You're meant to sleep well. You have to do all these things, right? To make sure and if you're not feeling well, you go to a doctor. It's the same thing as your mental health. You have to sleep right. You have to do all those things when you, and all those emotions, it's okay to get angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay. Like right now, there's so much going on. It is depressing. If you turn on the news, you will find something to cry about. Yeah, yeah. That's the truth. So you live in a world, you don't control so many things. The only thing you can control is you and what you take in. So if you know, oh, oh this news is depressing me, don't watch it. Oh, yeah. Limit your intake. If you feel, so you have to, so it's to normalize, like your, as your mental health is important, or sorry, as your physical health is important, your mental health is important. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing every day? I always ask my kids, Every day, do one thing for your mental health. Yeah. One thing, right? As whether it's today, I'm going for, uh, I, you know, going for a walk. I'm doing some gardening. I'm doing some painting. I'm singing. Um, whatever it is that makes you just glow, do it. Talk to a friend. Visit your grandma, right? Whatever it is that, like, you know, find one thing. So it's like you're investing in yourself. Um, there's this, there's this uh, book, um, it's, I'm trying to feel what's the, I can't remember the exact title, but it talks about feel, uh, about filling your bucket. So it's about bucket dippers and bucket fillers. So bucket dippers are people who like kind of take from your bucket. They're the ones who drain you, right? They, so, or, so it could, it could be people, it could be things, right? And then the bucket fillers are the people who, you know, those people who just come and they just so light into your life or, or things that just make you happy. So every day, think about it like life happens. Stress is part of life. And as life happens, it's kind of dipping from your bucket. It's banging things, you know, and taking things out. So it is your personal responsibility to yourself to fill your bucket. If you are blessed to have people in your life who are bucket fillers, who help you, fantastic. But if you don't have those people, it is still your responsibility to yourself to fill your own bucket, whether you're a child or an adult, right? So, so taking that personal responsibility, like, okay, that you, it's to make yourself well, because sometimes other people may want to fill your bucket, but maybe they can't. Maybe their own buckets are so depleted, they don't even have enough energy to go fill somebody else's bucket, right? So it's up to you to know, right? One, what do I need in my bucket? Two, what level is my bucket? How am I feeling today? I love written questions. Like, okay, on a scale of one to 10, I love that. Okay, so on a scale of one to 10, last time I saw you, you were at this number. One, meaning, you know, I, I never use zero because I'm, I'm always hopeful that, you know, there's something, right? So one, meaning like you were just not feeling good and 10, meaning we are fantastic. I said, very rare you find people who are 10. 
all the time, right? The episode of when you're 10. But to be 10 all the time, I haven't met somebody. So they might be out there, I don't know, but I haven't met them yet, right? So I do a lot of rating questions. Like, okay, how are you today? So on a scale of one to 10. So last time I saw you, you were a four. Okay, so where do you want to be? Like, if it's a short-term, if we're doing short-term counseling, because I also do that as well. I see kids where I have to do three sessions within six weeks. So it's a very brief model. So we're trying to move from four. So what to you will be a fantastic number? They might be like, okay, I think I want to be an eight. Okay, so right now we're four. So the goal is how do we move from four to eight? And that's, that's the goal. Okay, so what are things that would move you? And if, let's say, you moved backwards, what happened? Right? So, so that's a quick way of also, even, if, even language in the home with parents, right? To quick checking with your child. Like, hey, how, what, what number are you today? And they have that conversation, right? Like, oh, you know, last time you and I spoke, you told me you were an eight. But now you're telling me a four. What happened? All right? It could be something situational. It could be something that just happened that day. They had a crappy day, which is fine right? Or it could be something major, right? So I think, so those are, that's an easy, quick, it's very concrete that you can measure like you were this number and now you're this number, right? So that's a concrete way to do a check-in. And even with yourself, right? Like, okay, what number am I today? I'm this number. Okay. What's going on with you? And then, and also knowing your baseline because some people, they're it's, that's their regular because they're the happy people they're just chirpy that's them for some people five is a good number we hear five and we think oh that's average but that's their baseline right so we should be worried if somebody who is a five is maybe now a three or two because that's going down right and somebody who's an eight if they're going to five right you might think well that's the average but for them that's a big drop right? So it's getting, having a baseline for yourself and even for your kids so that that way you can help them. Because sometimes for some kids, having something concrete rather than saying, tell me how you're feeling, because they may not be able to articulate how they're feeling. But if they tell you, oh, I was a five or eight, I'm a five, then you know there's something and then you're able to tease that out with them. So I hope that all that was helpful. That is amazing. And you know, a lot of what you said goes into um, talking about understanding yourself as well and becoming self-aware. You know, this thing that you're talking about in terms of knowing your baseline and knowing how you operate and how you function is so important to then noticing the changes in your own mood, the changes in your energy levels, seeing whether or not the things that used to give you joy, whether or not they give you any more joy. And, you know, you also said something about how going into your toolbox for the things that you need or that you use to cope and how sometimes one thing might not work but you don't have to beat yourself up about it and i think that is so important because sometimes we go to the thing that we think okay this is this normally helps me or you bring out your cbt workbook and you're like okay i'm gonna go back into my cbt and try and see if i can you know try to get to a good baseline and it's not working and it's really important to understand that you know you're on a journey yeah. and and you're evolving as well so you know and so the tools as well will start to evolve and and we do that with physical things that we see around you know the the phone that we used several years ago becomes redundant a couple of years later and as we evolve as well so do those tools in in that that toolbox but this has been this has been so so amazing and um 
so many, so many nuggets of wisdom in here. Thank you so, so much for coming on the episode. And um, just to round up, if you were to give our listeners something sort of like a bite-sized nugget for them to remember about breaking the culture of silence around mental health um, relating to children, what what would you say? Mm. Bite-sized. It doesn't have to be bite size. <laughs> I know it wasn't about like bite size. I'm just them to remember, you know, about breaking the culture of silence because I think that's so important. That very few things grow in darkness. Mm. Like even when it comes to like when we think of plants, right? Very few things go in darkness. We all need light, right? And that and and any way that we can bring light to ourselves and to other people is very important. And I think seeking help, it's a way of shining light, right? So, so yeah, so no, silence doesn't help. It just covers things up and they don't go away. Mm. It just festers and festers. And, and then by the time you're finally ready to deal with it, it's so big that you're not even sure where to start from. But when you address issues when they're smaller, mm-hmm. they're easier for you to manage. Mm. So early intervention whether in, in whatever, I, I'm a big fan of that, whatever early intervention, because you have a better chance of success at it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a few things go in darkness. So seek light, open it up. Are there going to be, you know, are things going to, she's going to shake things up? Yes. But ultimately, I think is it's important. We only do this life once. That's it. It's just once. So do it well, as much as you can within your power. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is amazing. Thank you so much here today for coming on today's episode. And where can our listeners find you online? Okay, so online um on Instagram as Yujide Kilanko, um on Facebook as Yujide Kilanko author, um on uh, Twitter as Yujide Kilanko. I think that's it. Um yeah, so I I'm I'm quite active on social media actually. Because something I can do from the safety, I'm a, I'm a homebody. So I can be home and do that, right? So yeah, so if anyone had, an, if you have questions, I would be more than happy uh, to answer them. Uh, so if you have any questions related to like, you know, mental health, getting help, or please reach out. I think it's important that, you know, uh, we all take care of ourselves in this very, very on challenging times. These are very difficult times. So it's even more important that we take care of our mental health. Because this is we're in for a long run, um, so and it's it's a worldwide thing. So please don't feel that you're you know you have to be alone. Um, the mental health services all over, like you know wherever you are, reach out, ask for help. Um, you know, please, please don't feel that you have to do this alone. And we weren't created to do life alone. I don't think so. So. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. And so listeners, as I said at the beginning, I'm going to be giving away two copies of Daughters Who Walk This Path. Um, It will be open to listeners in Nigeria, Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom. So all you have to do is when this goes up, leave a post on um, a comment under the post with Yejide's face on it on my Instagram as to why you've enjoyed this episode. And make sure you're following Yejide and myself at A Slice of Health on Instagram and the book would be yours. It will be a random draw of two, two uh, listeners. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode. Thank you so much, Yejide, for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I got to talk about things I love to talk about. So hey, it was, it was pleasurable for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. 
do share this podcast with two people who have not heard about us before. Remember that this podcast in no way replaces advice from your own doctor or physician. Do subscribe and follow us on social media. Leave us a review on iTunes so that others can access the amazing content. And do join the club at asliceofhealth.club and drop us some suggestions or questions that you might have. Don't forget to be a health champion wherever you go by separating health fact from health fiction. Thank you.